Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond. But at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong, radiant, timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirks Bentley, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, Peso Pluma, Sean Paul, Sum 41, and many more. For way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long. For just $25. $25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash Concert to buy now. What's up? This your boy Lil Duval and check out my podcast Conversations with Unc on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Well, fellow conspiracy realists, if you've been with us for a while now, or if you're tuning into the show for the first time ever, we're pretty confident you've heard of the Bermuda Triangle, right? But have you heard of the counterpart in the Pacific Ocean? That's what we talked about in our classic episode this week, the so-called Dragon's Triangle. Do you guys remember this one? Most definitely. Mm -hmm. Same kind of things that happen in the Bermuda Triangle, but just in a different part of the world. Come on. What what could you not like about this? Let's dive in. From UFOs to psychic powers and government conspiracies, history is riddled with unexplained events. You can turn back now or learn the stuff they don't want you to know. Hello, welcome back to the show. My name is Matt. My name is Noel. They call me Ben, you are you, and that makes this stuff they don't want you to know. We are joined by our super producer, Alex Williams, in the uh, on the ones and twos today in the booth. Are there more than one? Uh, yeah, we have a, we have a, we've expanded. Ones and twos and threes by my count. That's fair. Oh, you meant more than one. Um, Whatever. Is oh, yeah. stereo channels? It's true. There you go. That's the ones and the twos, mm-hmm. except our MP3s are mono, so mm-hmm. but we're working on changing that. Yeah, we're working on all sorts of things today, and if we don't take a, uh, if we don't take an ill-fated trip, all of those things will come true. Uh, just a bit of a bureaucratic notation here before we begin today's episode. Uh, you're going to see some, uh, some, some big changes coming up with the stuff they want you to know. Should we give him the, the full scoop? I don't know. I don't know. Is it too inside baseball? Or, or should we do like a, a dip and dot kind of thing? We could just say we've been hashtag blessed with yeah. some <laughs> funding from on high, which yeah. could mean uh, 
more there, more shows, yeah. expansions, and things there's of a tech, that nature. Yeah, there's a TechCrunch article you can find if you wish to learn all about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, we are, you know, we have our uh, parent company, How Stuff Works. We are now officially our own thing with How Stuff Works. So now, if now if Matt Noel and I say uh, this goes all the way to the top. We're, we're talking about the guy who works next, next to us. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. In our previous episode, or, well, the episode we previously recorded, uh, we mentioned, uh, some maritime adventures, right? And Noel, you and I have not been on cruises. However, our compatriot has. Yes. Do we want to rehash the cruises again, boys? You don't have to. You were, you weren't, you didn't hate it, right? I didn't hate yeah. it. Mm-hmm. And, uh, it, it was a thing. It was a thing that happened. Yes. Uh, and it was a Caribbean cruise, right? Mm hmm. Which, uh, brought us to, brought you perhaps to something that many people have heard of the Bermuda Triangle. Yes. I was near it, but not in it. And yet here you sit. Right. Mm-hmm. I made it through you guys, yeah. uh, reporting back. It was, it was a little weird, but it was cool. And that is the, uh, as you know, uh, that is the alleged site of numerous plane crashes, boat sinkings, and disappearances. Yeah, du jour. magnetic anomalies. Yeah, uh, but today we're going to uh, examine the alleged eastern version of this, the so-called Devil's Triangle. According to legends, there have been tens of thousands of people who've tried to cross this stretch of ocean only to perish or disappear in the attempt. In the modern era, so goes the story, several Japanese research and military vessels have also gone missing in this triangle, leading to a number of dead and disappeared, estimated to be over 700 people. Pretty wow. pretty hefty stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll, we'll get to those claims in a bit. First, <laughs> let's, uh, let's look at the facts. What are we talking about when we say Devil's Triangle. Well, it's not only known as the Devil's Triangle. It's also called the Devil's Sea, the Dragon's Triangle, and the Taiwan Triangle. And just as with the Bermuda Triangle, it's even sometimes called the Devil's Triangle. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah, so it gets weird when we ask each other, you know, well, where is this? What was Devil's Sea, Dragon's Triangle, Taiwan Triangle? Uh uh, because there's no official world map that plots this. Yeah, it's written all over the place online where it's supposed to run from, you know, it's a triangle. So it, in theory, it should have some pretty defined areas in which it, you know, af- is affecting the world around it. Mm-hmm. Usually it's said to run from Taiwan up to the volcanic island of Miyake-jima that's just south of Tokyo, and then to about Iwo-jima or somewhere in that vicinity, pretty close. Mm-hmm. Both of those locations are along something called the Izubonin Volcanic Arc. Uh, that's a line of underwater volcanoes and islands that stretch. Well, they're part of a larger system that stretches 2,500 kilometers all the way from Japan to Guam. And some people, like the author Charles Berlitz, say that the Devil's Sea, which I think is my favorite name so far. What do you think? I think Devil's Sea is cool. I like ascribing a shape to it, implying that it's sort of a zone. Okay. You know, the sea. Yeah. It's pretty, is it the, like the whole sea? Right. Yeah. It's, it's a sea that exists in itself sea within apart a sea. from the ocean. Yeah, I don't know. 
That's a good point. We do need to have parameters. Well, according to this author, Charles Berlitz, the devil's triangle is every bit as dangerous and mysterious as the Bermuda Triangle. And we can imagine right now how uh, the people who are very dismissive of the Bermuda Triangle might find this hilarious. Mm-hmm. Somebody is actually in their car right now going, <laughs> that is true. <laughs> oh, oh, me. Oh, my. For sure. But then there are other people in the audiences who, as soon as they hear Devil's Triangle, they think of the vile vortices, which is something that has been traded around amongst the uh, mysteriously minded for quite a while. Vile vortices. Okay, what? what's a vile vortice? Oh, wait, that's the plural. Mm-hmm. What are vile vortices, Matt? Well, a vile vortex is a concept, really. Uh, it's the idea that there's perhaps something strange going on with either the Earth's electromagnetic system. It's uh, the way it functions. Maybe it's a little stronger in this place than anywhere else. And odd things tend to happen with metal objects and living beings. Okay. All right. So... The, the idea then is that these are distributed across the planet? Yes, it, it, precisely. There are, there is a map of sorts that you can find and it shows you where there's one at the North Pole and there's one at the South Pole and then the rest of them are kind of polka dotted in a pattern, albeit, uh, across the Earth. And we can trace this idea specifically to the author Ivan T. Sanderson. Uh, and he is at the source of a lot of these claims. When he first proposed this concept, other authors took it up and they attributed different causes as the source of the, the alleged disruption, right? So mm-hmm. like you said, Matt, electromagnetic stuff, gateway to hell, um, paranormal things. Portal to another dimension, maybe? Extra dimensional, yeah, extra dimensional portals. And um, we have a rundown of the of the vortices that that you mentioned, Matt, that are distributed across the planet. Ladies and gentlemen, would you like to know where they are? Okay. Let's start at the North and South Pole, if that's okay, just because that's kind of obvious. If you're talking about electromagnetic strangeness, you're going to have perhaps some things going on at the North and South Pole. Uh, Then you move on to the Bermuda Triangle. That's the, you know, the granddaddy of these vortices. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, Then you got the Algerian megaliths. This is just south of Timbuktu, uh, and there you can find this stuff online if you want to learn more about these other specific vortices. Mm. And perhaps, you know, we can pick some of these up later. Uh, the Indus Valley uh, over in Pakistan, there's – oh, there's a volcano just east of Hawaii. That's mm. a, a pretty interesting place. Hamakulia. Mm-hmm. We got the Devil Sea. The one we're talking about today, the triangle, whatever you want to call it. There's a – ooh, uh, well, I'm going to save this one for last. Okay. Uh, the Wharton Basin, and you can you can find a link to that on Wikipedia and check that out. Uh, the Easter Island megaliths, the statues. The uh, just east of Rio de Janeiro, there's a section or uh, an area over there that's said to be part of this. The Loyalty Islands, which are I believe between just north of the intersection, or I guess the area between New Zealand and Australia. Okay. 
Then uh, my favorite one by far, the South Atlantic Anomaly, which perhaps is a whole separate episode mm. on its own. It's this place where the Van Allen belts dip a little bit closer to Earth than the rest of the belts. So you have this radiation at, uh, at X miles above the Earth that's much higher than it should be and is in any other part of the Earth. And can interfere with uh, high-altitude orbital craft as well as spacecraft, right? Yeah, even astronauts have reported, specifically those above on the uh, space shuttle when mm-hmm. it would orbit, that they would get the um, – the shooting stars in their eyes when they would go near that area. So then later on down the road, they had to improve the radiation shielding for any other vessels, specifically the uh, International Space Station. Uh, for folks that don't know, the Van Allen belts are like, it's like a charged area in the atmosphere. Isn't mm-hmm. that right? Yeah, it's, uh, it's uh, things, these are the major reason that people, one of the major reasons that people believe we never went to the moon because you couldn't get through that in theory. Right, right, yeah. Uh, and these, um, can, they fluctuate, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but this specific area has a higher rate. So Van Allen belts can wax and wane, and uh, depending on solar energy. And sometimes they can damage satellites. And I think you are correct. We do have a South Atlantic anomaly episode in our future. Mm-hmm. Today, most oceanographers or naval experts and scholars and related disciplines are going to dismiss the vast majority of claims made by Ivan Sanderson and his supporters. And they're going to say, that's malarkey, don't believe it, vile vortices or a whole nother other realm of um, the made up. Uh, and, you know, we see this, we see similar things happen with theories about, uh, ley lines or something where they say mm-hmm. people are just drawing lines at random and ascribing meaning to them. But what exactly is supposed to be going on here? So in his book, um, which was published in 1989 called The Dragon's Triangle, this author of Berlitz said that Japan lost five military, uh, vessels in the area that we're talking about between 1952 and 1954. And that um, accounts for a loss of somewhere in the neighborhood of 700 sailors. Uh, another author by the name of Dan Cohen wrote a book in 1974 called Curses, Hexes, and Spells, in which uh, he reported that legends of the danger of the Devil's Sea, Devil's Triangle, what have you, um, are centuries old as far as Japanese lore goes. Um, so its most famous modern casualty was the number five Kayo Maru, which was a scientific research vessel that disappeared with the loss of everyone on board um, on September 24th, 1953. Uh, and that's uh, a date that's wrongly reported often, Ben. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, sometimes 1952, 1958, but the actual date is 1953. Um, and by any any single person's measurement it is it is an enormous tragedy to lose people at sea but let's let's look at uh some of these other claims there's stories and allegations that's number 5 Kayo Maru that's the most a uh, well-known modern one uh according to other pro- proponents of the idea as Noel mentioned just a second ago the story 
dates back for centuries. So you'll hear tales of fleets from China and Kublai Khan going missing in the area. The specific legend uh, that we're digging around in is one that says in the 1200s, Kublai Khan tried several times to invade Japan by crossing the Devil's Triangle. Mm. In this process, according to his story, he lost his vessels and he lost 40,000 men Jeez. in the area. That's, 40,000. That's a lot, of, especially Ow. at the time. Yes, it is. Um, and we mentioned, you know, we, we mentioned that they've wrongly reported the date of that modern tragedy is 1952 or 1958, which lets us know that things slip a little. Um, with the Caillou Maru, oftentimes the authors who say that this is an example of somebody being lost in Japan's Bermuda Triangle, uh, they often make increasingly unsubstantiated claims and they say that everything from a visiting UFO to some sort of lost style electromagnetic fluke. Dude, spoilers. I didn't say <laughs> what happened in it. I knew you were going to say that. I didn't. Oh man. There's an entire wiki dedicated to lost. That's true. I'm not, yeah, I'm not, I'm not standing down on that one. The other examples that we hear cited are often going to be portrayed as military vessels or large commercial vessels disappearing in calm weather with no clear explanation. Mm-hmm. That's the thing where it gets weird for me is like, you know, you've got these giant vessels where there's meticulous bookkeeping. They know exactly who's on board, what's on board, and there is, you know, protocol of keeping in touch with home base. That's the stuff that really makes me kind of like think, huh. Is this a thing, you know? Yeah. I absolutely, I absolutely agree. That's the, look, the ocean is vast and deep, right? But we also have technology, even in the fifties, that would allow people to be in, if not continual, incredibly frequent communication with someone else. You know what I mean? Radio existed. Uh, you know, there's one thing, um, uh, mm-hmm. One of the pieces of research that we looked at in this, I think we should just mention at this point, was uh, Skeptoid, mm-hmm. who did an episode on this and mentions that a lot of the times the large military vessels from way back in the day that were rep- reported being missing were actually fishing vessels. Um, just just pointing that out. Right. I'm glad you mentioned that. We'll, we'll see that coming up again uh, later on in the show. For now, we've, I think we've painted some of the lore and some of the the legends and the claims here, let's take a look at the evidence. Evidence? After a word from our sponsor. Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists, like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirks Bentley, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, Peso Pluma, Sean Paul, Sum 41, and many more. For way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long. For just $25. $25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a Job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. 
you name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snagajob's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. This is it, your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global. Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Unfortunately, evidence of this devil's triangle or C in action is extremely hard to come by. Right. Sure. Sure. Of course, there are historical records of fishing boats going missing, sinking or wrecking throughout regional history, throughout global history, from the ancient past to the modern day. However, in this instance, there are no cases of scholars at the time citing a dragon's triangle or attributing widespread paranormal causes to these tragedies. It was enough for most of human history to just acknowledge that, you know, the ocean is a very dangerous and deadly place and people are not built for it. To be fair, there were also numerous spiritual explanations for the tragedy, but I think we can agree that's a, it's a very different thing. Maybe it's more of a, of a belief system, maybe even in some level a coping mechanism, but we would be remiss if we did not talk about the Kublai Khan adventure because first things first, there really was an attempted invasion of Japan by the Mongol forces in the 1200s. Not only was there one, there was more than one. I guess anything that isn't one is more than one. <laughs> Correct. It's zero. Somebody saved me here. Right. So in 1274, the Yuan fleet set out with an estimated 15,000 Mongol and Chinese soldiers and 8,000 Korean soldiers in 300 large vessels. And they also had 400 uh, to 500 smaller craft. Um Although figures vary widely as they often do with these things depending on the source. Man, that is a massive fleet. It's a pretty, pretty mega fleet. Uh, so they initially made significant progress into the area. Um, but then around nightfall, a typhoon caused the Mongol ship captains to suggest that the land force reembark in order to avoid the risk of being, um, you know, shipwrecked, marooned uh, on Japanese soil, which would be bad times. Right. So they were saying, okay, the weather is clearly souring, so we need to hop on the boats here 
and get back before we are stuck. And who knows what would have happened? You know, maybe uh, other supporting Japanese forces could have come to the area. Can we just set the, the the scene here, Ben, just a little bit? Or if you would maybe help, what's what's at stake here? What is the kind of like the surrounding uh, reason for this of this event? Well, uh, if we're painting with broad brush strokes, uh, the typical say uh, the typical line would be that the Mongol Empire depended upon expansion. So, sort of like unrestricted capitalism, it didn't, it couldn't exist without things to consume. You know what I mean? And also, the Mongol forces at the time were not well-known seafaring fighters. They were, they were, you know, they didn't have an awesome navy. They were much more well known for their ability to wage war on horses, for their specialized bows, which were some real, uh, real fascinating stuff. We're talking about explosives. We're talking about rockets. Uh, but can, can I just yeah. pause the conversation here for one second, everybody? Take one step back. As we're recording this, we're in the aftermath of Harvey here in the United States. And then Hurricane Irma is on its way, possibly, to striking Florida, definitely going to hit Caribbean islands. Heard it's even coming through Atlanta. Yeah. Imagine in the 1200s, you're, you know, you were experts at the sea if you're, you know, the captain of a naval ship back then, especially in a military capacity. Still, you don't have Doppler radar from across, you know, the other side of the ocean uh, to see as a typhoon is forming and like to really get an understanding of where it's headed or what's going on. That's, that's an intense situation because you know, it has to be pretty close just to even see it. You know, I would, I, I completely agree. I also would be quick uh, not to underestimate the, the knowledge these folks have because they're probably reading the migratory patterns of birds. Mm-hmm. They're probably noticing little things that would pass most of us uh, completely by, you know. But it's That's a still, great point. But still, it's not. A, but still, you make a great point. It's not comparable to having uh, Doppler radar or something. By daybreak, only a f- almost all the ships had set out to uh, sail back to mainland China, um, and those that had. This is where the Devil's Dragon's Triangle stuff comes in because those that had were destroyed by the storm. Uh, we're talking about uh, around 200 Mongol ships lost at sea. Um, the, the small Japanese boats were much more maneuverable than the Mongol ships. And so the remaining th- uh, ships were on the Mongol side were boarded by the Japanese and crippled took over un, a very ungood double plus bad day for everybody or double unplus. I'm, I mean, I'm not caught up on my 1984. The Mongols would attempt another invasion just a few years later in 1281. So that is, as we can see, that is like uh, the root of the cryptic references you'll hear in these vile vortices or dragon's triangle books about, uh, the, Khan, the great Khan's hordes were lost in mm-hmm. the Devil's Sea. Well, and as, as intense and horrifying as being caught in a typhoon, I'm assuming is, I have never experienced it, but I'm assuming it's intense, especially then, it would have been considered 
not such a strange thing, right? I mean, yeah. people are aware of weather patterns and the force of nature at that time, and you attribute it to, you know, whatever you attribute it to, but generally it's kind of mundane. Well, is there maybe a sense that, like, the Bermuda Triangle and some of these areas of, you know, disturbance, shall we say, are maybe more prone to extreme weather conditions? And that's sort of what gives them this reputation because there's just, you know, that far out to sea, you're going to get bigger storms than you are closer to the mainland. I don't know. That's a great question. One of the things that we run into a lot here in the modern day is that Authors and, and uh, critics, opponents and proponents of different ideas will accuse each other of misleading the audience. So uh, Charles Berlitz gets accused of sort of editorializing this thing, um, this this instance of a failed invasion and taking a, as Matt said, completely explicable sort of series of events and reframing it as something in a poorly written reality TV show. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's the thing about reality television that just to go a little bit off air here, uh, I was never the biggest fan, but I had no idea how much of that stuff is scripted and carefully, oh, yeah. well, they call it produced. Which is funny though, because the like industry term for that stuff is unscripted. Yeah. Exactly, right? A and funny I think misnomer. Yeah. I think off air, the, the three of us at least have all run into what that looks like a little bit behind the curtain, you know, and I, I guarantee you, if you, if you watch reality television, I wish you the best and I, and I hope you have a good time with it, but do be, do be aware that I'm sure most people know that every time the camera is not directly on somebody who is making a big deal out of a, a incredibly insignificant problem, there is a producer or an assistant producer who's sort of grooming them and coaxing them and in some cases trying to get them drunk. And this is sort of like that, only the individuals being described didn't really have a say in it at all. It's just kind yeah. of one guy yeah. sort of painting with a broad brush, I guess, and – uh deciding what the narrative actually is. And I mean, we see that all the time with history. I mean, they say history is written by the, by the victors and this is a little bit different than that, but I will never forget the end of the Ozzy Osbourne reality TV show where they show you the behind the scenes of the scripted parts. Oh, really? Yeah. I never Did saw it ruin it for you. It blew my mind. Blew do, my mind. Do, do tell. Ozzy Osbourne can read. Still? <laughs> That's a little game. It was no, a, I said still. Yeah, it was a long time ago when you, Imagine that was, I guess, high school for me. I can't even remember exactly when it was, but you know, holy I, mackerel. I don't remember where this came from, and I will try to find it and put it on our social media. Um, I read somewhere that there was a study being conducted, a, a genetic study being conducted on Ozzy Osbourne. I don't know if this was a hoax uh, because they were trying to figure out how he could have done so many drugs and still, you know, not had a debilitating disease and still be relatively all there. I certainly uh, hope they included Keith Richards in that study. Right. Yeah. He should be in there too. Um, we've got to, well, let's see, well, let's give the show a little bit and see if we can, if we can dig that up as we proceed. <laughs> uh, but yes, uh, also to be fair to, uh, Mr. Burlitz, we have not spoken with him directly. Mm-hmm. And, to be even fairer. more fair, even, yeah, <laughs> even fairer, <laughs> uh, to be even more fair, um, 
this typhoon, this historic typhoon, did occur at an abnormal time. Mm-hmm. The invasion took place in November, but the typical typhoon season runs from May to October. We've already started talking about some of the problems with this story and this legend. Um, In 1995, an American author named Larry Cush published The Bermuda Triangle Mystery Solved. Whoa. I know. All along the way, he debunked, uh, or for many people, he debunked Berlitz's claims about the Bermuda Triangle and the Dragon's Triangle. He says that the military vessels that were mentioned, as we alluded to earlier, were actually just fishing vessels. Now, why does that matter? Well, it matters because fishing vessels are easily lost. And they're extremely common, right? And they're probably a little bit smaller. And they're, yeah, they're going to be, in many cases, they're going to be much, much smaller. Mm-hmm. And, uh, for those to get lost is an unfortunate reality of life at sea. Especially if we're considering also that many of the fishing uh, military vessels have the ability for their story to be known. They probably have better communication systems, you know, mm-hmm. might not be the case with a lot of smaller, uh, fishing vessels, you know, anywhere from mom and pop operations to like local businesses, mm-hmm. um, or local regional businesses. But there's more. Yes. Yes. As Billy Mays was wont to say, there is indeed <laughs> more. Uh, some of those crashes listed by Charles Berlitz sank outside the area that's defined as the Dragon's Triangle. Now, is that a problem with where they sank or, you know, the boundaries of the Dragon's Triangle? Maybe it's bigger than we think. Maybe it is. Maybe it is. Cush also uh, wrote that the Japanese vessel carried not a hundred personnel, as Berlitz acclaimed, but only 31, and that an undersea volcano is what destroyed it. Hmm. Now that's peculiar on its in its own right, in my mind. Yeah, undersea volcanoes sound weird. <laughs> and then, okay, another another problem with this idea: if the legend really does go back for centuries and centuries, then why isn't there more scratch that any information about it in the historical record from any of the countries lining the uh, place where this this triangle is supposed to exist? And then enters. The Skeptoids Brian Dunning, he did or supposedly did a large search for any type of newspaper, magazine articles, books, really anything written down specifically about the dragons, sea triangle, devil's triangle, all that stuff. And he came up empty handed until 20 years after the loss of the Kayumaru. uh, Apparently, the story then just became it was it was breathed into existence so yeah apparently this this legend of things going back for centuries was a a fairly recent invention at least according to Brian Dunning and the research he conducted the first written records of the triangle only show up in the 1970s and then when they blew up in the fringe scene the literature became flooded with accounts of this new mysterious region with tales that had been feared for centuries nearly all published references Again, uh, Dunning cites this as well do, uh, as well as a couple of others. Nearly all published references are from the early 70s and they're immediately upon the heels of Ivan Sanderson's articles from 1971, 1972. 
And all of that stuff led Dunning to conclude that, quote, in short, there is no devil's sea and there never was outside the imagination of Ivan Sanderson and the authors who wrote about his vile vortices. But it sounds so great. Vile vortices. They're, they're just really, like, disgusting vortices. <laughs> yes. Yeah, they they're don't just, tip. Yeah. They, uh, they squeeze toothpaste from the middle. They pick their noses. Forgot to shower for about a month. So, uh, personally, I think the phrase vile vortices sounds, um, like a supervillain weapon, like mm. something Cobra Commander would use. Yeah, um, or a team. It's like a team of somebody who's oh, right. really, really dastardly. It's just a, it's like a biker gang that got a hold of a thesaurus but didn't read the whole entry. What is a vortices? It's like Team Rocket from, from Pokemon. <laughs> so we, we do, um, you know, we do hate to, look, we all want to believe in mm-hmm. these amazing, extraordinary things. And the long and short of it is in the research that we found in primary historical sources, uh, and in common parlance in the area, this is largely considered a myth. And it's not treated uh, with near as much prominence as several other local or regional uh, extraordinary events or beliefs. And this is, in many ways, kind of a Western thing. Strangely, right? Yeah, it's a, it's a thing that people in the coast of China and in the coast of Japan – don't really think about or give near as much credence to. Definitely and, feels like a tale of the other. Yeah, yeah, and haven't for, uh, <laughs> certainly haven't been worrying about it for centuries. Most people are, you know, uh, families or friends on the coast just hoping their loved ones make it back before, you know, a storm hits or disaster occurs. Which are real dangers. But... We're not ending the tale there yet. We do have some explanations, a peek, if you will, behind the curtain. After a word from our sponsors. Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirks Bentley, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, Peso Pluma, Sean Paul, Sum 41, and many more. For way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long. For just $25. $25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a Job is the all in one solution for hiring high quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part time or full time. You name the position warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snagajob's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. 
So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. This is it, your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. As we promised before the break, we have some possible explanations for some of these uh, bizarre occurrences in the Devil's Sea. Um, starting off, there's pretty much no way around it, but uh, boats and ships and, and vessels, you know, what float, uh, they really have disappeared in this area of the Pacific, you know, quite a bit, in fact. Um, that much is true. But what's the deal with the triangle or with, <laughs> with all of the triangles? You know, what, why, why? Very Andy Rooney there for a second. I yeah. like it. <laughs> Which one? What? What's the deal with? Is that Andy Rooney? I thought <laughs> that was Seinfeld. A bit Seinfeld, even in Rooney too. Uh, Rooney. Interesting. Okay. Well, uh, you know. <laughs> but really, 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 really. <laughs> yes, yeah, so what's going on? What's up with the triangle? Why aren't there more devil's squares or devil's octagons? Well, obviously, you know, uh, you got to have some, ang- some angles. Devil's pentagram, know. come on. That's what I'm saying. You know, you know, devil's not a square. The devil's not a circle. <laughs> All right. The devil's clearly a triangle. Or a series of triangles. It's shaped like a goat's head. Okay. You know? Literally edgy. Yeah. Well, okay. Oh boy. <laughs> too, too, too much. Oh boy. That's fine. Um, but yeah, like, that's true. But what's, what, why? So, you know, we, there, there is research that explores, uh, some of these environmental changes, um, as the cause of such anomalies as said triangle, triangles. Mm-hmm. Um, one of these explanations is that the vast field of methane hydrates that exist at the bottom of the ocean in that area could potentially have something to do with uh, these disturbances that we talked about that originally some people attributed Mm -hmm. to an electromagnetic uh, lost kind of situation. Yeah. These are downright terrifying to me, the existence of these. So, yeah, (laughs) this is this is very unfair. Nature is brutal and unfair. This Uh is one example. Nature doesn't care about you. No, not at all. Uh, There are these deposits of uh, methane hydrates gas, methane clathrates, and when they reach a certain temperature, they will quote-unquote explode. That temperature, just so you know, is not very insane. It's 64 degrees. Thankfully, they're at, you know, the bottom of the ocean. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there are uh, these ice-like deposits that break off from the bottom and they can rise, forming bubbles on the surface of the water. 
And again, this is just like, this is the scary part. This is theoretical. Uh, these gas eruptions could interrupt buoyancy. What this means is they could easily sink a ship, leaving no trace of debris. You would just be sailing along and then. Like it would suck you down? Uh, essentially, you'd almost, it, you would lose buoyancy. So you would just, your the, the ship would just go. Well, when, down. I, when I picture the Bermuda Triangle, that's kind of what I've always pictured is something like that. So that's pretty wild. See, in my head, it's it's a vortex, essentially. That, is that so that's not what this is? You so you're saying it literally just disrupts the ability of your vessel to float? It would be like a, a bunch of air bubbles down below your ship that you're going over and you just kind of – and it's not exactly that. See, I pictured like the water just opening up in like a hole and then you just fall down. And then like a distant – I always pictured – you know, I I remember so many films or older uh, older things like episodes of The Twilight Zone where there would be this gray, all-enveloping fog rolling in mm. and then, you know, the, the captain or the pilot of a, of a plane, for instance, they do the thing where they tap their, uh, their, yeah, their, uh, compass and stuff and the altimeter and everything's mm-hmm. going crazy. And next thing you know, it opens up and they're in a weird, unknown land. But then they crash, or they're like on top of a mountain or something. Yeah, yeah. No, but seriously, I'm, I'm really I gotta I gotta harp on this. So the 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 water is affected in such a way that it will not support the weight of the ship. So here's here's the problem. No one has ever seen an actual eruption like this. And you wouldn't. No one would be left to tell the tale. No one knows how large the bubbles coming off the methane deposit would be, but... In theory. Give, but, give it to Yeah, me. but the scientists who... Oh, pump your brakes. We're getting <laughs> Sorry, there. man. I'm, but the, I'm jazzed about this. But the, uh, the, 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 there are scientists who have conducted research on this, and they found that they made a model of a single large bubble coming up under a ship, and they tracked trapped water between vertical glass plates. They launched gas bubbles from the bottom, right? And they used a video camera to record what happened to this hull they have floating on the surface. If the thing is exactly above the bubble, then it's safe. But if it's uh, far enough away, it's safe. It's where it's toward the edge that it just sinks in. So it doesn't explode. The bubble sort of swallows it, mm-hmm. for lack of a better word, which That's to crazy. me is more frightening than an explosion. No, you're helping me out real big with my mental image of this uh, phenomenon, and Would, it's it's freaking me out. <laughs> uh, this is is this uh, the best advertisement for a cruise ever? I don't really. I don't want to be that far out in the water, man. <laughs> You know, we just did yeah. the Titanic. I mean, yeah. you know, like, come on. <laughs> we really are scaring people away from, you know, being on the ocean right now. Well, no reason to stop yet because there's a different explanation, right? Should we get into great white sharks instead? No. Cause yeah, what's well, up we, with sharks? We save that for another day. I'm just saying, like, it's another reason why I don't like to swim in the ocean. But okay, let's keep going. Oh, okay. Well, uh, another reason um, that – Ships could disappear more frequently in this area would be that small islands in this triangle, in the Dragon's Triangle, uh, frequently disappear. New islands frequently appear due to um, volcanoes and seismic activity. We cannot forget, ladies and gentlemen, about the Ring of Fire 
The Ring of Fire is this huge 25,000-mile horseshoe-shaped area in the basin of the Pacific Ocean down there at the bottom, uh, including in the area that we consider to be the Devil's Sea. It's... Uh, it's home to a, just a ton of earthquakes and volcanic activity down there. It's associated with almost a continuous creation of trenches, oceanic trenches, uh, volcanic arcs, volcanic belts, plate movements, and it has over 450 volcanoes. That's over 75% of the world's active and dormant volcanoes exist in this ring of fire down at the bottom of the ocean. So, is it possible that a volcanic eruption on the ocean floor could reach a ship? Well, yeah, you're just talking about the release of gases again, um, as the, you know, the immense heat that's being generated right below where the water is and then coming up and meeting with that water, creating steam that has to get pushed up. Mm-hmm. Again, you're talking about swallowing ships potentially. I know that, um, <laughs> this is, this is kind of ridiculous. 2015, uh, there was an active, underwater volcano that was uh that came to life off of Granada and you you guys will really enjoy the name are you ready mm-hmm. it was called the Kickem Jenny volcano wow. Kickem Jenny yeah yeah like that like three words <laughs> what like, if it's uh New Zealand uh <laughs> Kickem <'em>, Jimmy <laughs> right? Jimmy or Jenny oh Jenny right you're Jeannie. right <laughs> Jenny yeah oh boy uh everybody <laughs> And everybody in New Zealand, we uh, apologize. We've been practicing this accent. I don't think there. we have any New Zealand listeners left at this point. You don't yeah, think so? Everybody's gone. No. Write in and let us know. Actually, let us know about uh, Kiwi conspiracies, too. We'd love to hear those. Um, so the problem with this is I'm, I'm bringing this up because this is a good um, – this is a good specific example of the problems here because not only is a – Underwater volcano powerful enough, as, as Matt said, to affect the surface, but it could even shoot hot rocks into the air. Uh, these can be massive. In the case of Kickham Jenny, um, scientists set up an exclusion zone for ships around the volcano. Wow. Recreational ships had to stay three miles away from it. And I think commercial ships had to stay a mile or two away. Yeah. Just in case. So it is completely possible that some of these ships, maybe even the uh, Maru that we mentioned earlier, number five, it, it is possible that these ships were instead the victims of volcanoes. Wow. That's and, terrifying and for me. Much more terrifying than a mysterious devil's area. Yeah. What about mysterious gas bubbles? That's that, the, that's the, that's yeah. the one that gives me pause. Uh, yeah, I feel like a fiery death at sea is um, more understandable than just all of a sudden saying, oh, we're on the water. Now we're in it. Why can't I breathe? Yeah. Yeah, that's the thing, though. I mean, like a fiery death at sea, it seems like it would leave behind more flotsam and jetsam and whatnot. Like the whole, you know, uh, kicker of these of these places usually tends to be gone without a trace, right? Yeah. Like right. that's sort of like the uh, – the, the calling card, I guess. Yeah. Lack of a better yeah. Term. And then if you do find them, it's, you know, 50 to hundreds of years later at the bottom of the sea. Weird. And we'd like to know what, uh, we, we'd like to know what your experiences are, your maritime experiences, and most importantly, what your take is on these ideas of, uh, 
the Bermuda Triangle, the Dragon's Triangle. I also, you know, I want to ask people, well, what's your idea about this vile vortices thing in general? Because we would love to hear about a source that comes from before the 1950s, let's say, mm-hmm. you know? I Do you live near one? Right. Could you go check it out or, or have you had any experiences there? It's how we find out if we have any friends in the Easter Islands. Mm-hmm. If so, we may be coming to, uh, <laughs> to your house to crash. We'll be there in two weeks. <laughs> and – is it, will it take us two weeks? Well, it's just, there's a lot of planning that goes into That's it. That's probably true. Yeah. Uh, so unfortunately, yeah, a lot of the stuff about this seems to have sprung up after the fact with little supporting evidence in the preceding literature. However, we do know that there is absolutely nothing fictitious about Losing ships at sea, according to a maritime assurer named Allianz, losses at sea continue in the modern day. Yeah, I mean, this is still clearly happening. We've got um, stats from 2007 to 2016 indicating that the area uh, comprising uh, South China, Indonesia, and the Philippines um, counted 249 lost ships, while the area north of that, um, think Japan, the Korean Peninsula, and the like, counted 133 lost vessels. And these numbers are actually on the decline. Thankfully. Yeah, the maritime industry uh, on the whole has seen the total number of losses decrease um, during 2016 to 85. Uh, and then the number of incidents or casualties also is on a year-over-year um, downturn. And uh, according to another report from Allianz, um, one of the big questions would be how many ships disappeared without a trace, right? Overall, um, from 2000 to 2013, there were only seven that were considered what they call missing slash overdue. So you can still be missing for <laughs> two years and be overdue. Wow. Missing for two years at sea. That's uh, not a fate I want to experience. And Sue concludes our show. You know what we haven't done in a little while? Is it a... Our first shout-out goes to Nick. Says, hi, gang, love your show. In the effervescent episode 300, you mentioned blood donations. I think it was a 99 Pie podcast or maybe Radio Lab where I first heard that donated blood is a big business and that hospitals seek out more blood than they need to sell it to other hospitals. It might even have been stuff to blow your mind, come to think of it. Well, you need to get your podcast straight, Nick. Come on. In the process... Hey, leave Nick alone. <laughs> in the process, lots of plasma gets thrown away, apparently. Here are a couple of links that uh, go that take us down this rabbit hole. So he sent us some great stuff from WPTV, and then there's a nice little Reddit uh, "Today I Learned" section here. So we're gonna dive into this, Nick, and uh, we'll report back with what we find. Literal blood money. Uh, what about plasma money? Plasma doesn't have the same ring to it, does it? It's a wave of the future, though, right? Plasma money. That's where all the money is. Let's get in early. Our next shout-out comes from Nicole. Hi, guys. What happened to the video podcast in the iTunes store? I haven't received any new updates in quite some time. Are the podcasts audio only now? Thanks, Nicole. 
Uh, we mentioned at the top of the show we had some changes in the works in terms mm-hmm. of uh, some investment in our company and um, the podcast business, I guess you could say, spinning off from the How Stuff Works in general. Uh, with that has come kind of an emphasis on the podcasts, and that means uh, less video. And, yeah. And, you know, Matt? And beyond the iTunes store or Apple podcast uh, video store, we have – put a pause on our video production for the stuff they don't want you to know video series specifically on our YouTube channel um and anywhere else that you've been watching our show maybe on on Amazon and we're just putting a pause on that like Noel said to focus on this show uh this thing that people who make more money than us and make uh, decisions above us uh, have faith in. So we're going to keep going with it. But there may be like opportunities on the line to supplement some of the stuff we do here with some video stuff or some one-offs. We'll see. But, you know, a lot of exciting new stuff coming down the, the, the pike, but we're not fully aware of all of mm-hmm. it yet. And thanks so much for writing in, Nicole. We have uh, one more shout out for today, but it's a, it's a bit of a doozy. So get comfortable in your seat or scoot to the edge of it, you know, wherever you prefer to encounter doozy messages. Uh, hey guys, says Laura B. I just listened to your podcast about America's zone of death, and I'm actually a former student of Professor Kalt. I attached a photo of his class syllabus to prove it. I really appreciate you guys giving him credit for this topic because it's been showing up a lot on social media without him being credited at all. That's a real, that's a real pill. I, uh, Laura, I find that personally offensive. Um, that was me. Ben, that wasn't Laura. Uh, Laura continues, you guys should give Professor Call to Google because he has also written on a wide variety of other super interesting little discussed topics. And I'm sure he'd be more than happy to talk with you guys. Keep up the good work, Laura. Nice. Thank you so much for writing in, Laura. And here's the bonus. Here's the doozy part. Professor K did write back to us. He wrote back to us yesterday, I think. <laughs> And um, his his email was uh, very, very kind to the point where I was thinking, man, I wish you were my professor. He, uh, we'll just read some some brief highlights here. Uh, <laughs> one thing I really liked was uh, he said a few points. Came, I, I heard and enjoyed your podcast about my Yellowstone theory. I wanted to reach out, offer my enthusiastic participation with whatever else you want to do with the subject, and also on the pardon power, as you mentioned. A few points that came to mind as I listened. One, you called me Dr. Kalt, but like so many law professors, I'm not a PhD. Also, I pronounce Kalt like halt or salt, not Kelt. Uh, no worries, though. I've been called far worse. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think this guy has a great sense of humor. Two, in case you get any feedback on the Yellowstone theory, a very common response is that the state of Idaho would just prosecute you. And that's true of most national parks. If the feds couldn't prosecute you, the state would be able to step in. But in a few of them, like Yellowstone, the feds have exclusive jurisdictions. So that's a no-go. Three, it's worth mentioning that if you tried to use the loophole, you would still be subject to getting sued, civil liability, and prosecuted for misdemeanors for which you have no right to a jury trial. You also would not be able to use the loophole if you did any part of the crime, like forming your intent or conspiring outside the zone. Oh, man, you know what that means. We're already guilty. Our our moonshine operation already went elbows up. Uh Perhaps most importantly, if you're thinking of pulling something, there's probably someone else there with the same idea, and he's bigger than you. Well, how does he know? 
<laughs> All of this eliminates much of the loophole's usefulness to would-be criminals. I still think the loophole is worth fixing, though. Even with all the reasons why it's limited and why it might not work, there really is no good reason not to fix it and just color inside the lines. On pardons, number one, you mentioned pardons declaring you guilty. I wrote a short piece in an attempt to do, disabuse people of that notion. And so he has a piece in the Wall Street Journal that he refers us to. Pardons aren't only for the guilty. And two, he said, self-pardoning was the subject of my first legal article in 1996 in a chapter of my book in 2012. If you're ever interested in doing anything on pardons, I'd love to help. And he also recommends uh, a chapter from a book called Constitutional Cliffhangers, A Legal Guide for Presidents and Their Enemies. Uh, and it's on the loophole in the 22nd Amendment that could allow a two-term president to stay in power. Oh, I want to do both of those. You want to both be uh, president, stay in power? Uh, yeah, the that specifically as well as self-pardoning and pardoning in general. I just want to learn more about that, and I think people out there – would want to as well. Yeah, let us know if you'd like to learn more about legal loopholes. And uh, we are going to be following up with uh, our new favorite law professor. And for now, this concludes our... But not our show. And that's the end of this classic episode. If you have any thoughts or questions about this episode... You can get into contact with us in a number of different ways. One of the best is to give us a call. Our number is 1-833-STDWYTK. If you don't want to do that, you can send us a good old-fashioned email. We are conspiracy at iHeartRadio.com. Stuff They Don't Want You to Know is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. From BBC Radio 4. Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. 